Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved. Good to be with you, dear family. I pray that you're well and that all manner of things are well. That statement is attributed to Julian of Norwich, that all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. But it was actually the words of our Lord Jesus to uh, St. Julian in the midst of turmoil. And so it is in the midst of turmoil that God is with us and Nothing touches us that he doesn't allow, and he works all things together for good, all things. So we're going to take your calls and emails probably a little early today, too. We normally wait till the first break, um, but um, we still have uh, some to catch up on. So um, we'll probably get to them early. Let me just see where we are. You see where we are. Here we are. Okay. We're looking at the spirit of um, St. Francis de Sales. Um, and um, uh, this book was put together by Bishop Camus, Bishop Jean Camus, C-A-M-U-S. Uh, one bishop <clears throat> being discipled by another. Hold on just a moment. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. Hold on. And Bishop Camus was so impressed with St. Francis de Sales that he uh, bore holes in the ceiling and looked down on him. I thought he looked up. He didn't. He looked down. And um, he saw that St. Francis de Sales was as much a saint uh, in the privacy of his own chamber as he was in public. Just an amazing man of God. And again, my spiritual director from heaven. And I truly believe St. Francis de Sales led us to uh, St. Benedict and to take on the rule of St. Benedict, which is a magnificent rule. And so this part, we are in um, chapter one, which has to do with uh, perfection. Uh, Did I lose that? Yes, I did. I lost the uh, title page. Um, It's okay. Here we are. I got it. On perfection generally. Um, Part one of this book is on religious perfection and its practices, and um, uh, not just for religious, but for everyone. This is religious perfection and its practices. And then the chapter one is on perfection generally, and it's in different points, and some of them are extremely short. And our point four for today is titled, True Devotion, Best Practiced, in our natural calling. Now, this is just a tiny paragraph long. The bishop used the bishop, and again, this is Bishop Camus, his disciple speaking, the bishop, St. Francis de Sales, used to say that the most important duty of every faithful Christian is to be continually seeking to perfect himself in his own calling. Beloved, this is so important. That is, he says, to fulfill all his duties more and more perfectly. 
and the perfection of each individual calling lies in duly adapting means to their end. In other words, using our own special calling and its circumstances to promote that love which is the true and essential perfection of Christianity, without which all else is naught. We can only attain our great end, God's glory, through charity. I tell you what, when I first, I mean, the book is all falling apart, but when I first read this, I, it was painful for me because I thought, oh my goodness, I don't know how to love my neighbor. I don't even want to love my neighbor. I don't even want to. It's too much of a problem. Their problems and and it's too much effort and they don't deserve love and, and of course neither do I. And It was just, oh, it, I, oof, I just couldn't go there, you see. But now I know it's the only way. Love is the only way. The only way. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if I can move all mountains, if I have all faith, if I can do miracles, whatever it is, but I have not charity. I have not love. Uh, I'm a gonging symbol, clanging symbol. Nothing. Nothing. Without charity. And um, and Bishop Camus says, remember St. Paul's words, put on charity, which is the bond of perfection. That's Colossians chapter 3. It is not only the bond which binds us to God, our soul perfection, but also the bond which knits all graces together and unites them to their true source, which is God and his glory. You know what? We could go on to the next point, but it's a little bit off the same topic. So you know what I'm going to do, beloved. I keep promising you to catch up on your emails and calls and all of that. Well, we're, we're okay on the calls, but the emails we haven't caught up on. Um, and so um, I'm going to go to your emails, and you can. <clears throat> Our phone lines are wide open. Anything on your heart, beloved, never has to be what we're speaking about. You can call in with your name and your city, or with your name and no city, or anonymously, all together, not an issue in the world. Our toll-free number, and uh, the number uh, to text as well, is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Um, I want to begin with Martin's note on Facebook. We ended with that yesterday, but right in the middle of the ending music, and I thought it was too important to not spend a little more attention on. So Martin has written this, you are right about the dangers of Catholics visiting Protestant Bible studies, but don't we have a responsibility to work for Christian and interfaith unity? Now, I may have shocked the number of you yesterday, but I said, no, we do not. We do not have a responsibility to work for Christian and interfaith unity. You know, in John 17, our Lord, speaking of his own disciples, um, he said his word is truth, and they are to be united in the truth. And he prayed that they may be one as he and the Father are one. And in John chapter 13, 
He taught them how to be love, how to be one, rather, by serving one another, that by their love for one another, the world will know that God has sent his son. We are to be one as God's people, that is, the Catholic people, the Catholic Church. We are to be one. Within his church, there's all kinds of um, schisms, divisions, all of that, and yet it has remained the Catholic Church, and that's a bit remarkable in the sense that my Protestant friends, because I was 18 years trying to save Catholics as a fervent evangelical Protestant, and um, they have uh, exceeded now 40,000 denominations in 500 years since the Reformation against one Catholic church that has stood for 2,000 years with the likes of us in it. If it was man-made, it would never stand. So within the Catholic church, there are all kinds of difficulties and um, bishop against bishop and all of that. Yes, I know that, but it's still the Catholic Church. If it was man-made, it would have fallen apart uh, on day one. So do we have a responsibility to work for Christian and interfaith unity? We have a responsibility to work for unity among our brothers, yes, among those in the Catholic Church that would be a witness to God that it is the one holy apostolic and Catholic Church, or Catholic and apostolic Church, yes, yes. Do we have an obligation to work for interfaith unity? No. We have an obligation to work for um, spreading the truth, and the only true unity is unity and truth. It's not just we'll get along on the things we agree with. No, no, no. Christ died for the truth. He died to make us his. And we need to give that truth. If the rest of the world, other than Catholics and and the uh, Orthodox, who are not receiving our Lord's body and blood, soul and divinity, are we to unite with them and not tell them the truth? We say, but the truth will offend them. Well, let the truth offend. But let not our failing witness or lack of love in telling them the truth offend. There's no unity apart from truth. Ecumenism is, the uh, right ecumenism is not compromise. It's not unity. It is to truly get together with those who don't believe as Catholics believe and find out by truly listening to truly understand what they believe where they're at, to respect them as individuals, to find out what it is uh, that they really believe so we can understand it. We're not falsely accusing anybody or or um, um, coming to misunderstandings on false premises. So we find out what someone... I remember when um, my brother became Catholic before me, and I couldn't believe it because I was taught the Catholic Church was Satan's system and uh, oh, just other things that are, I hate repeating those things, terrible. And I said, but my brother is tremendously intelligent and um, uh, he searched for truth all his life. And how could he have, you know, I thought much study hath made him mad like the Apostle Paul. But I, I said to him, David, how can you tell me what it is you believe about that. My heart was, how? How? I wasn't even at the moment 
so zealous about converting him to what I understood was the truth, but to find out how on earth he was thinking. How could he believe that based on what? What convinced him? I Trying to get into his mind. What on earth made you Catholic? What on earth could you make you believe that or that or that? And, uh, well, here I am. I'm Catholic. Um, blessed be God forever. But that's what ecumenism is. To truly respect not someone's religion. That's not the point. You don't want to respect a religion that does not worship the true God. But you want to respect the individual that worships a false religion to say, tell me what it is you believe. Just like the Apostle Paul went in Acts 17 to Mars Hill, to the tomb of the unknown God, and soldiers were worshiping there. And Paul went up and said, let me tell you who he is. Let me tell you who you're worshiping. You see, to find out where they're at and then come alongside, just as our Lord did. He came to us in all of our sin and came alongside and died for us while we were yet in our sin to bring us to God. So we're going to go on with um, another Facebook note from Francis who says, Hi, sister, why don't people in our world love each other as God loves us? There is so much hatred. Um, uh, Very, very confusing sentence here. It says, there is so much hatred and sad part is, oh, I thought she means, and the sad part is, many Catholics I know have hardness of heart. It saddens me. Well, I tell you what, dear Francis, it saddens God too. It saddens him too. It should not be. It should not be. But the answer to why is our fallenness. We're all fallen. We're all sinners. Now, in Christ, we are new creation. We are new creatures. We have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us, and we don't have to sin. We don't have to sin. But we still have, from the fruit of the fall, what's called concupiscence, which is our tendency to sin. Do we have to sin, therefore? No. But we do. We do. And it shouldn't be, but there is the fruit of the fall. And it saddens you. It saddens me, dear one. And it certainly uh, saddens God. It shouldn't be. And he gives us every, every grace to love one another. Okay. We have a text from someone who's written in anonymously and says, Hello, Mother. Love your show. Oh, I'm glad for that. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to answer my question. My husband and I do not agree on the following situation, and I ask for your advice. We have a 20-year-old daughter who has a great love for being with children. She is a great soccer coach, Bible study leader, babysitter, and volunteers at the local hospital with ill children. What a beautiful daughter you have. My daughter occasionally babysits two boys. The boys love her because my daughter takes the time to play and talk with them. The parents are sex married. I think you meant to say same sex married. Yes, they're two women. Oh, My daughter understands that this is not the marriage that God has designed. And I have talked to her about the rebellion to God for one's passion. 
I have talked to her about the rebellion to God, for one's passion is not from God, but from darkness. I'm uncomfortable for my daughter to babysit at their home. We love all God's children, and the kids are innocent in this situation. But is she showing support of this family dynamic, and is this a sin? Evangelize the parents. Hold on now. Their sentences are not complete here. Evangelize the parents. I do not think that my daughter has the courage to do this and give them the truth with love. I tell you, my heart goes out to this situation as well. It's very, very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. Um, you know, all those children see are two, two mothers. And uh, for, you, for your daughter to babysit for them, there's another mother. There's another woman in their life. And the two women will absolutely think that your daughter has validated their marriage and their life situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you want the baby to be baby. You want the children to be babysat. You want them to be cared for. You don't want it to be against the children. Um, you want to reach out. Uh, it's really, really, very difficult. In that situation, uh, it, it's a hard thing. I would say no. I would say no. Um, the only way that I would perhaps babysit in a situation like that is if I talk to the two women and explain to them that I think they are in a sinful union before God. And God is loving and merciful, which is why he sent his son to die for us. And you can show them passages in the scripture where homosexuals will not get into heaven. Um, so that it's not your assessment, it's not your judgment of them. Who are you to judge? It's got nothing to do with you. It's what God says. And it's a lack of love if you don't tell them that they're living on a road to hell. And it's very, very difficult. And so um, you could say to them, you know, uh, if, if they'll let you, if they'll let you discuss this with them, and they're open to the truth and want to meet with you and continue to seek it out, you can, then you might have the opportunity to babysit the children and tell the parents that you're not going to be, if, if you're babysitting them, you're going to be spending good time with them and you're going to be teaching them um, and you're going to be speaking to them and teaching them as boys. Um, and so the parents have to be okay with that. You're not going to show them any books with two mommies or two daddies. You're not going to do that. And so if you can teach them Christianity while you're babysitting with them, you can take them through Bible books. That's okay. You won't speak against their mother, mothers, but you'll take them through Bible books. You'll play with them. You're not going to watch TV with them when you babysit. You're going to do it on Christian values. And so um, if they agree with all that and they allow you to, to, to talk with them about what is sinful, what is God's design for them, and they're open to discuss it with you, I'd say maybe on that basis 
but that's going to be a very rare situation. So um, I wouldn't do it on any other basis, just for the opportunity maybe to be a witness to them, because you're not going to be a witness to them unless you speak with them directly. Um, All you'll be doing is supporting their situation, making them think that Christians think that they are as acceptable as a family as anyone else. So, um, so I would say no, not to babysit. And the fact is, I would tell them why. I, that, that'll be the hardest thing in the world. But I would say to tell, I would say to tell them why. You know, and if they say, you know, we want to do what's right, we're willing to do it even if we break up what we thought was our marriage, um, we, would you help us? This is another matter. Yes, you can help them. But to just say no and not tell them why, I wouldn't do that. I think we have an obligation because we have the truth to give it to others. They need, we don't deserve to be saved any more than they do. And we have the truth. I think often of Father Stan Fortuna with the Friars of the Renewal, Father Groeschel's order, who said that if we keep the gospel to ourselves, we are thieves. We have an email from Mark who says, Hi, Mother. One thing I say to Bible-only folks is, how do you know when Christ speaks metaphorically or when he is speaking literally? The answer is, you cannot know. Therefore, it is necessary to have the church in authority to tell you when he speaks each way. I find that to tell the Protestant to show me something in the Bible, it is always their interpretation or their pastors. So we have no, we have to show them the above fact. Well, we do. We have to help them to understand, Mark, I'm with you, that the church doesn't come from the Bible, but the Bible comes from the church. Um, it's not the Bible alone. And as Scott Hahn pointed out years ago in the uh, question from one of his seminary students, excuse me, that started his journey to the church, a student stood up and he said, uh, um, I used to be Catholic, uh, Dr. Hahn. I'm no longer Catholic. You know, he's an evangelical then. He said, but I've, I've always wondered, where does the Bible say it's the sole authority? Where does the Bible say that? And of course it does not. And Scott fumbled for an answer, as many people have since then. But this, nowhere does the Bible teach sola scriptura. Nowhere does the Bible teach that. Nowhere. And so Protestants are basing their stand on sola scriptura, that is the Bible alone. They're basing it on what the Bible doesn't say. It's, it's quite ironic, quite ironic. So yes, um, we have the early church fathers, the disciples of the disciples to, uh, to tell us what our Lord meant by what he said. Okay, his peace, Mark. Your, God's peace to you, dear Mark. Thank you so much. Um, we have a text from someone who writes it anonymously and says, uh, Mother Miriam, good morning. Um, I thank the Blessed Trinity for you. Thank you so much. I have learned so much from you, and my soul hungers for more. My question is regarding the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I know that it is not infallible. 
do we know in what areas or matters? If you can explain this to me, please, because I'd like to have an explanation for others when this question arises. Thank you. You don't know. It's not that in certain places it's not infallible or areas or matters. That's not the case at all. The thing is, when we read the scriptures, we read the Bible, we know that it's the word of God. We know that every word is, um, is, comes to us through the authors of scriptures from God. Um, uh, every word of scripture is, uh, no scripture is of man's interpretation, in fact, Peter writes, but every word written uh, by the Holy Spirit through men. So we have a sure, infallible book, which means that everything you read is true. Now, the Catechism, uh, it it it's uh, the Catechism. When I say it's not an infallible book, it is because it teaches the faith of the Catholic Church. It explains why we believe what believe what we believe explains what the scripture says explains what the church teaches and there could be a full a wrong understanding or wrong word i've never picked out anything that was wrong but you could read a very good book and every single thing in that book is true yet the book itself cannot claim to be infallible because it is not supernaturally inspired by god same thing with the catechism the catechism is true it's a good book it faithfully teaches what the church teaches um, but it is not an inspired document as the bible is and so there can be error there all right but i haven't ever been able did you know your donation could be matched If you donate $300 to the Station of the Cross, you could have it doubled. There are many companies that will double employee donations. So when you donate $300, we'll receive $600, helping us make Catholic Radio even stronger. Help the Station of the Cross proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity by checking with your employer today to see if there's an opportunity for your place of employment to double your donation. This could greatly benefit Catholic Radio so that we can share the gospel with more people. May God bless you for your support of the Station of the Cross. Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern Time for Sermons for Everyday Living, a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. Visit thestationofthecross.com for details. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. 
from every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. And I kind of talked right into the break, so I want to invite you now. Our lines are wide open, and we have a whole half hour to ourselves to call in toll-free or text at 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother, excuse me, mother at the station of the cross.com. And we have a text from Stephanie who writes, Mother, Cardinal Seurat had an amazing declaration against communion in the hand. An article was posted about it on a Catholic face group, a Facebook group, and so many people were disagreeing with him. Well, you got to be careful. You can disagree with, with uh, Cardinal Seurat, but you're going to lose because he is right. He is right. He's a, I, I wish he were the next pope. Okay. One point he made was about particles of the Eucharist falling to the floor. Many people were saying that the host is round and hard, so there can be no particles unless it is broken. I have heard that small particles not seen with the human eye can still fall. Do you know of any evidence or studies proving this. I would greatly appreciate your input. God bless. Well, I don't know about particles not being able to fall from the host because it is round. My goodness, you have many um, baked products that are not the Eucharist, that are not consecrated, and that are round. And there's crumbs all over the place. You take them out of the box, and there's crumbs all over the place. They don't have to necessarily be broken, but crumbs can fall off. Um, We have an awful situation, really, uh, in Tulsa here, where where there's no patent people receive in the hand. It's, It's terrible. And there's no server with a with a, a patent under the hands or under even those receiving in the tongue. And so particles are all over the floor all the time. So I don't need anything uh, to, or study proving this. I've seen it myself. They're all over the place. Enormous disrespect and disregard for the Eucharist. Enormous. I'm telling you this. Um there's no seal on that little host that would prevent particles from falling, even though it's round. It doesn't have to be square, um, and it doesn't have to be whole. It just uh, not at all. And so um, Cardinal Seurat is right. Uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder wrote a little booklet that I would urge and or beg everyone to get. It's called Communion in the Hand. 
um, and uh, it, it shows the atrocities of communion in the hand. So, um, uh, no, I, um, I, uh, I would not recommend that. I would discourage everyone from it, and you don't need proof. Communion is to be received on the tongue and kneeling. Now, when I say that, we have choices. People think communion on the tongue is somebody's privilege or option. It is not a privilege or option. It is the norm. It is the rubrics of the church. The norm is for us to receive on the tongue. Most people in Novus Ordo churches receive in the hand. That is the exception. And should we receive kneeling? We should. We're before God. But the church requires, as a minimum, as a norm, a profound bow. Ninety degrees is profound. And I have hardly seen a soul do that. People bow, a little bow of the shoulders, a little bow of the head, 45 degrees, not 90. I do not see people bowing from the waist. We do not give God the reverence he is due. Okay. Well, blessed uh, be Cardinal Seraph or whatever he wrote on that. Um, we have an anonymous email from someone who says, Hi, Mother Miriam. I started watching your show about a month ago, and I wanted to let you know how much of a blessing it is listening to you. I love to hear that because not everybody agrees with that. I know that for sure. Um, I have been dealing with envy for quite a while now. Throughout the day, I have thoughts of comparing myself and my state in life with other people. Thoughts of jealousy bombard my head, especially when I hear news or see posts of others' successes, new car, house, great family, appearance, and even others' weight loss. I deleted all my social media accounts, but on days I am so tempted, I sign back on and I get anxious about what I see, and then I get depressed about it. I can't tell you how many times I've confessed this sin. I attend Latin Mass every Sunday, and even have bouts of envy there. There's a certain woman that I see at Mass always wearing short dresses and backless tops. At a Latin Mass, they shouldn't let her in the church. My goodness, they shouldn't let her in a Novus Auto church at all. She has lost a lot of weight, which I think is why she flaunts. I could be wrong. I remember back then that she dressed way more modestly. I find that my eyes are always looking her way, and I lose focus on what's more important in front of me. Excuse me. This is during Mass. I try to pray and pray some more or even just close my eyes during Mass so that I won't be tempted to look and then be tempted to have had thoughts about her. Sorry this is so long. I really want to change this about myself. What can I do? Oh, my. Um, There's a little book by Thomas Howard, I actually haven't read it, but I would recommend anything Thomas Howard writes. And it's almost a booklet. It's so small. And it's called When Your Mind Wanders at Mass. You might read that. Closing Your Eyes is very good, is a very good um, solution. And reading that little book 
so that at least you can concentrate at Mass even if your eyes are completely closed, the whole Mass, and you simply listen, especially if it's a Latin Mass. You just, if you either look at your missile or or keep your eyes closed, that's all right, except for the consecration. You may want to look at our Lord. Um, as far as your particular suffering, um, I know what you need, beloved. I'm not sure that I could help you how to get it. The answer to everything, the answer to everything in our lives is to be grateful. To everything is to be grateful. And I'll tell you more about that when we come back from the break. In the interim, beloved, feel free to call in toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the cross with anything on your heart. We'll be right back. This is Father Jacek Mazur. Please join me in a prayer to St. Oliver Plunkett, glorious martyr St. Oliver, who freely gave your life for your faith. Help us also to be strong in our faith. May we be loyal like you to the See of Peter. By your intercession and example, may all hatred and bitterness be banished from the hearts of men and women. May the peace of Christ reign in our hearts, as it did in yours, even at the moment of your death. Amen. When you find a show you love listening to, you want to know more about it. We offer you the opportunity to learn more about each of our programs at thestationofthecross.com. You'll have access to an interactive programming grid where you can click on a program to learn more about it. All live shows are even highlighted in yellow, so they're easy to identify. Check out our interactive programming grid today at thestationofthecross.com. Users of iCatholic Radio are raving about our app in the iTunes and Google Play stores. One user says, It's exactly what I was looking for since having a closer walk with my Lord and my God. Great app for the living Catholic. Praise God. Nancy says, This is the best app. I have become a regular listener to it. I use it every day. I also play it all night long while we sleep. Get this app and use it. It will change your life for the better. Another user recommends iCatholic Radio, saying, So sweet a sound. This has allowed me to listen to Catholic Radio when I travel. What an awesome learning tool. Thank you. If you haven't reviewed iCatholic Radio yet, what are you waiting for? Visit your iTunes or Google Play store today.
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We've got over 15 minutes all to ourselves, and um, I would be delighted to hear from you to call in toll-free or text at one eight seven seven. 877 Wow, I, I just drew a blank. one 877 or email at com. And we are in the middle of an email from someone who's written in anonymously who has a very strong problem with envy. Um, and, you know, beloved, let me just tell you, and I said the the, the remedy, there's a couple of remedies. Uh, one is to be grateful because when we're grateful for what we have, we're not jealous of someone else. Someone once said to me, I don't know how accurate this is, jealousy is wanting what someone else has. Envy is wishing them not to have it. So envy goes beyond that. Envy is a, is a vice. And, um, and so uh, the two things I, I, I think of uh, is one, think about everything you have. Uh, you have the eyes with which to envy, you, to see someone. Give God thanks for that. You have a brain to think. You have a mind to think. You have faculties. You have a human body. You have emotions. You have faith. Uh, you have all these things. You need to be gra- grateful for that. You need to be grateful that you could even go to the Latin Mass or any Mass and be jealous of people because you're at that Mass because God has given you the faith. And so... Um, uh, be grateful. You can't be grateful and jealous at the same time. You can't be grateful and envious at the same time. You can't be grateful and angry at the same time. Those are are, uh, emotions that don't mix. You can be jealous one moment and and, um, grateful the next, but you can't be them together. So as long as you continue to fill your heart with gratitude toward God for what he's done for you, you will be free of envy of others. And when you tend to envy, know that envy is against love. It's, it's a grave sin, and it's against love. And say, no, I'm not going to envy that, that person addressed like that or who has that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to thank God that they have it, and I'm going to ask God to make them holy. And that all the good things they have would never draw them from him, but would lead them to him. So pray for the people that you feel envious towards. Pray for the woman who's lost weight and now she's coming to church half naked. Um, Pray for her. Pray for God to help her to grow in her holiness and her modesty. She should not be in church that way, any church that way. But also, I'm going to suggest something that's going to be very, very difficult for you. It was difficult for me years ago when someone suggested to me to read the Litany of Humility. I read that thing, and I was so horrified by it. I said, I don't, I'm not humble like that. 
I don't even want to ask God to make me humble. I, I read through that. It was just at the beginning of my Christianity and such, how do I say, so unworldly. <laughs> I was still too worldly. I, I, I forget some of the things it says now. I, I, I don't, uh, don't worry about being approved by others. Don't be jealous of others. Um, uh, don't worry about your reputation. Oh, I, I, I should know it. I, I've, I've seen it enough and prayed it enough. I should know it. I could bring it up, but go ahead and bring up that litany of humility and read it. You can bring it up on the internet. You can get it in, in a Catholic bookstore. Read it, and even if you have an aversion to it, even if you think you'll never get there, even if you don't want to get there, ask God to help you to want it. At that time, I didn't even want to ask God to help me to want it because I didn't want to want it. Isn't that something? See how God changes us. I'm made. I'm not saying I'm humbled now and I could read through that litany without uh, some stabs to my heart, but... It, it would be very helpful to you. So I would say practice gratitude, practice love for others in place of jealousy. Love for others. You see somebody with a $3 million house and servants and everything else, and you're struggling to pay your rent, and just pray for them. Say, Lord, thank you for the gifts you've given them and help them to use them for your kingdom. You see? Because if they're not using them for God's kingdom, there's no gift there. Okay. So I don't know if I helped you at all, dear one, but um, take a look at the Litany Humility online, and you may react as I did. I don't want this. I don't even know how to get there. Don't worry about it. God knows how to get us here. Um, And I tell you what, um, when I remember when I left New York, because I I was called to speak at a conference, um, and... uh, um, priest that I loved, really, really love. Uh, he's no longer alive, but I cherish him. And he said to me as I left, out of the blue, God will keep you humble. Because I was going to speak for the first time as a Catholic. I was Catholic three years at that point. And he said, God will keep you humble. It's completely out of the way, completely out of context. We weren't talking about anything like that. It was unlike him. It came out of nowhere. And when I asked um, another priest friend of his, I said, you know what he said to me? And a year later we were together and he said, that was prophetic. (laughs) Excuse me for the hiccup. That was of God, he said, because this priest wouldn't have said that. And so I thought about it and I tell you, I cannot count the times I've been humiliated. And I tell you, beloved, what I learned is every time we could be humiliated, it means we're not humble. Because if we're humble, we wouldn't be humiliated. So over and over and over again, God worked on me. Now, I wish I were humble as God would have me to be humble, but he's brought me a long way. I can read the litany of humility now. (laughs) I'm not measuring up to it completely, but I can read it now. And I can desire it, actually. So there's the hiccups. Isn't that awful? Okay. See, true, true confession. Now it's going through Station of the Cross and LifeSite News all over the world, streaming live. I'm, this is true, true confession over the air. Why do I do this? That, isn't that crazy? I do it because I know I'm not alone. I know if I have a sin or a weakness 
or a fault. I know that I'm not the only one who struggles with it. Now, I'm sorry for this, but um, Elijah, I'm going to put up, I'm, you could put up a little, I'm going to take a little sugar to get rid of these hiccups. Hold on. <clears throat> a very kind man, <clears throat> a very kind gentleman emailed me <clears throat> a while back hearing my hiccups. And he said, Mother, take a little sugar for your hiccups. And every time I've done it, it's worked. And I just took it now. Look at that. I'm not hiccuping. Well, this is a remedy that many of you are witnessing live and free. Free. Free health tip. Take a little sugar. That's not so terrific. But just a little bit. And no more hiccups. I I just can't get over that. It's just amazing. Okay, we have an email from David who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I am a regular listener to your program and consider myself a practicing Catholic. My question is regarding the issue of gambling. Now, before I read David's email, I want to repeat what I said yesterday. To go to church on Sundays, um, to not murder, to not steal, to keep the Ten Commandments, um, is not to be a practicing Catholic. That's simply to be a Catholic. To be a practicing Catholic means that we're Catholic through and through in our witness, in everything we do, in everything we say, and what we don't do, what we don't say. That's to be a practicing Catholic. Okay. I, I say that because uh, David says he's a practicing Catholic. My question is regarding the issue of gambling. I sometimes... Um, go to the local casino on holidays and consider this a form of entertainment. I try to limit my losses, but I admit that I lose more money than I should. I am divorced, annulled by the church, and live alone. I have an above-average salary and am financially responsible. I am confused about this issue. It is... Is it a harmless vice, or am I playing with fire? I usually see fellow parishioners and the Eucharistic ministers at the casino. Oh, my goodness. I asked my priest about this issue, and he thought it was just a form of entertainment and okay. I admit that I sometimes feel guilty about not making good use of God's gifts by gambling away his money. Am I being too scrupulous? Thank you for your response. God bless you. I tell you what, David, bless God for your sensitivity and your conscience, which is not fully seared, and that you feel guilty. Very, very good. Uh, Someone once said, actually it was my beloved uh, previous Protestant pastor who said that the conscience is to the the soul what... um, nerves in a sense are to the body and I f- or fire I forget exactly how he says it. if you put a, your hand on a stove um, the, the the heat goes through your fingers into your brain and tells your body that you are burning you've just burnt yourself 
takes a couple of seconds for that, a second for the transmission to take place. That's why people with leprosy lose their hands because they have no feeling at all. They lose their fingers. But the, the conscience is that to the soul. Our conscience is that sensitivity to the soul if we've not hardened it. So the fact that you feel some guilt, David, is a very good thing, and it's a gift from God. Um, It is not a good form of uh, entertainment, even if you have financial means. It is not okay. You are not being too scrupulous. You are considering uh, love for God is what you're doing. And I, I'm sorry that your priest gave you that advice. No. And, and anybody else at the casino, the more we see fellow parishioners at the casino, it becomes a, a club. Certainly not a Catholic club. It's, it's, a, it's a non-practicing Catholic club is what it is. And every, I'm okay, you're okay. Oh, this is great. They're so-and-so. First you're embarrassed maybe that they see you. And then you say, no, this is okay. Everybody, the gang's here. It's terrible. Um I don't believe any Catholic should ever go to a gambling casino. The witness is disgraceful. That you would take the money, as you said, David, that God has given you, that he's enabled you to earn through working, however the money's come to you. It's from God. Your job is from God. And to waste it like that, no, absolutely not. It is not being a steward of God's money. It's, be, it's, it's throwing out what God has given you. If you have extra money, let it be a form of entertainment that you go and take care of the poor. That would be better. That would be better, beloved. Or, or help them to be taken care of by donating money. Either that or go take care of them yourself. You see, we should not waste. We are stewards of all that God has given us. No Catholic should be in a casino. I know groups of Catholics, and they go down to Vegas for a vacation, a holiday. And some of them have a determined amount they're going to spend, um, and some of them keep that, but probably more like you, David, go beyond that. It's, uh, I say it's sin because it is uh, misusing the resources God has given us. He has given us the commandment to spread the gospel. When we go to a casino to make money or to win money, um, not only are we not spreading the gospel, and we should not spread the gospel in a place like that, um, uh, but we are wasting what, what God has given us. We're throwing it out. And we have no right to do that. It's not ours. To be a steward is to treat other people's property with respect. If we gamble, we're not stewards of what God has given us. We are thieves. So to give away what God has given us permission to throw out. Okay, that's those are my two cents. I know many people are going to disagree. I already know that. But you ask me, dear David, that's what I see. Give your life away for God completely. Okay, there's our ending music, beloved, and we'll be back with you on Monday. Have a wonderful weekend.